0: Good morning. There was a pastor who uh, one Sunday morning was preaching on heaven. And he asked everybody to raise their hands when he asked how many here want to go to heaven. Of course, everybody raised their hand, except for one little boy. And so the pastor asked the question again, how many here want to go to heaven? Of course, they all had their hands up, but the one little boy still didn't have. So the pastor asked the little boy, he said, son, don't you want to go to heaven? And he said, yeah, someday. But uh, I thought you were gathering up the load right now. Are you ready to go? Are you ready to go to heaven? The thing is, you are in the heavens. And that's really what our uh, message is dealing with today. We already live in the heavens. And he say, how is that? And uh, well, the answer is going to be here, right here in the scripture. So if you're ready for that, I know I'm ready to go to heaven. If he wants to come right now, that's fine with me. I don't care if he's packing up a full bus load. We're on there, you know. That bus will you know, right up. I don't need a bus. We are in Colossians three today, and we're actually starting a new chapter, uh, starting a whole new area, really, uh, a new division. In a sense, it's all connected. But the reason I say that is because we have just finished a doctrinal section, the first two chapters, basically. You can divide up Colossians in two sections, doctrine, and then three and four, application. Putting doctrine into practice. You'll see that in Ephesians, first three chapters, four, five, and six, then how to apply it. Romans, same thing. 11 chapters doctrine, chapter 12 and on, how to live it. And uh, so that's what Colossians is now getting ready to gear into of how to put this stuff that we have learned in the first two chapters into our lives. And he's going to start with something that seems uh, so automatic to that. Um, you know, anytime we teach and preach, we want to have doctrine with application, don't we? We just have doctrine, then we're just going to be like students in a hothouse. Or, if you just have application, then you can't apply things that you don't know. We must have stuff in our mind here. Uh, we're still going to be dealing with the supremacy, the sufficiency of Christ, because that's what this book is about. And the first four verses is going to be focusing right on Christ again. And so, if, if we do that, with that knowledge of who Christ is, then we realize the power we have to live the Christ-like life out. We actually have the power. We can do those things now. Before we couldn't. Before Christ, and that how that is how doctrine affects our lives. We uh, we know doctrine and duty are always connected. So uh, you know I say this quite often, but it uh, is so easy to forget. Uh, we're now exhorted to live this life. You will live out what you believe. Whatever you believe is how your life is going to be. Have you ever noticed that? And that's why Scripture is the way it is. He tells who He is, what we are. We put that into our little brains, and then we're now able and capable to live it out. And so we show that we're believers in that. Now, we're reminded here uh, of what has happened to us, and because of what we are, we're now to set our minds on the heavenlies. That is what's going to be in this passage, just in these four verses. We're exhorted to live this out by seeking God first. That's the first thing that He's going to major on. Anytime you start in anything, who's first? Who's on first? He's always ahead of us, and that's what we always want to start with. It doesn't matter what you're doing. Um, You you put God up ahead. If it's a marriage and family, God, right? Church? Church? God. Well, it's all about Him anyway, right? Uh, Your job. God first. Uh, Your relations with people. God first. And that's the way that Colossians is going to proceed with this. Wherever we're at, as long as you have God first, then other things fall into place. And then they are put in their proper perspective. And so we'll see that as this uh, section unfolds. Um, As a result of our relationship in Christ, as we have seen, and setting our mind on the heavenlies, what we'll look into next week is mortifying our sin. That means to kill. To choke it. To starve it. Get rid of sin. Mortify it. I like that. Mortification of sin. John Owen wrote that great book on mortification of sin. Fantastic. He was dealing with this section. Uh, in Chapter 3. Um, but not only that, does he say to kill the sin. We're able to do it because of God's Spirit, right? His power. But also... We are told how we are to function in the church. So if we be filled with the Word, and that's what he's going to say, be filled with the Word of God. And In Ephesians, he's doing the same thing. As he starts application, here's what you do. Be filled with the Spirit. Singing psalms, hymns, spirit songs. Filled with the Spirit and filled with the Word of God, you know what? Same thing. If you're reading God's Word and you're letting God's Spirit teach you that they, they are so connected together you cannot separate them so that's what Colossians is saying then in Ephesians it says okay husbands love your wives wives love your husbands or vice versa same thing right um and that's what Colossians is going to do. So he deals with the families and then the children obeying and then the uh, parents doing what they're supposed to do. Then it talks about at the workplace, how we're to respond there. And then he goes on outside the workplace and even to people who are outside your realm. They can even be outside Christianity for that matter. And how we're to do with them. How are we to uh, look at them and how are we to speak with them? So that's pretty well how the rest of the letter is going to go. So you now have an outline of chapter 3 and 4. Hey, we just finished the book. We can move on to the next one. What's after this? <laughs> well, Paul has trumpeted his warnings. Charge, right? He's told them about the warnings that are in the church. I don't want to harp on it today. We've we've hit on this so much, but there are evil teachings coming in. They're trying to rob the wholeness, the fullness of the Christians' lives there in Colossae. False teaching coming in. And so Paul warns them, warns them, warns them. We've been week after week dealing with that, haven't we? And then he gives them the correct doctrine on it. Now what he does is he provides the counterpart. If you take something away from you, might have been some of the things in the past that you believe, well, you must fill that area up with something else. Something is empty. Well, we're full in Christ. So as we look at this fullness, we realize that he exhorts the Colossians' lives to to be enhanced by thinking of the fullness that they have to take that into their heart. And Paul teaches here that they will succeed if they heed to the instructions of the Lord and uh, these admonishments, these um, uh, encouragements here. So now, just to kind of give you a good full package of what we're dealing with today, here's what we're going to hit on. We are to be thinking constantly of our living in the heavenly realm right now, not in the future. We know that that is going to be in its fullest. We, I'm not eliminating a heaven, saying, "Hey, we're on, we're in heaven now." And some people say, "No, we're this is our hell right here." <laughs> But the fact of the matter is, if we have, if we are Christians, we are there already. That's true spirituality. We are to rise above the world so that we come down to the world and we're able now to live it and to live this. If we fix our minds on the heavenly realities, our blessings are in heaven, aren't they? Every spiritual blessing in the heaven, as Ephesians 1 says, you know what else is there besides our, uh, our blessings? Well, Christ is there, right? That is what it's about. Christ is there. The angels are there. And we are there, even right now, one day in its fullest. Uh, we're so closely related to Christ. This is what this passage is dealing with. We're so closely related. I can't put it in human words good enough to express to you how united we are in Christ. In Christ, in Christ. That what can happen is that we can unleash the power of heaven to our heavenly living here on earth. That's the idea. So what we're going to see is, and I've got, I think, four points on our outline, right? Number one is that we are raised with Christ. Number two is that we are to set our minds on Christ Number three, right now we are hidden with Christ presently. And number four, one of these days we will not be hidden. We will be revealed with Him in glory. So you've got a past, present, future there. We've already been raised. We are hidden right now. And in the future, there is glory for us with Christ. Ha Not a bad passage, is it? We really have good news today. Hey, let's stand for a moment. Let's read the first four verses here. Just four verses today, but it is certainly packed good enough. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Amen? Does that make you want to shout? Amen. Father, thank You for your, this Word. We pray for Your Holy Spirit to guide us into the deep truths of this passage. In Your Son's name, Amen. You can be seated. Hey, 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 this is a great, great section. I really like this. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. I love this section. Uh our church even uh sang this song. Penny already remembers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If then you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things of the... I can you can you remember that,
1: Debbie?
0: Uh, yeah. That goes back oh, twenty five years ago or something. Wow. I can't believe I even remember that. But that's how you remember verses. Sometimes you just take songs and and you put them in that format. You know, and you go, oh yeah, I know where that's at. Okay. Um, Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, that's a good place to start right there, right? What we're going to do is we're just going to look at what does God say about what's happened to us, what we're to do now, and what's in the future. All of that is in four verses. What does God say about that? Did He ever say anything about it? It, Yeah, it's in the Bible. Well, how do I know the Bible's true? You know? Well, uh, you just take these first four verses right here and I, I think uh, there's nothing to argue with here, is there? And he starts off with therefore, but I don't think that that is the best translation in our English. Some of you might have if then. And that's not so good either. The word probably be better since. Uh, they say, yeah, as far as the Greek word is concerned, since you have been raised up because what it's saying in the Greek setup, it's an accomplished fact that has already happened. Uh, that, so I'm not just saying this; that's the way that it's set up. Uh, therefore, it's okay. What he, the reason he'd say "therefore" is because you have doctrine, and usually, what do you have after doctrine? Therefore, do this, right? And that's why the "therefore" is "therefore." But I would prefer "since." My version has "therefore." It's okay; no big deal. What I want you to remember is we've been emphasizing Christ all the way through, right? Christ, 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 Christ. I mean, in every verse, it seems like we've been talking about Christ. You can't talk about Christ not because that's really what there is to talk about. And you can't run out of that. Now, the centrality is in all throughout Colossians. And right here in verse 1, what do you see? Therefore, if you have been raised up, what were the two words? With Christ. And if you'll go on in that verse, you get another phrase, a two-word phrase. Is there a such a thing as a two-word phrase? Uh, seeking the things where Christ is. That's better. Where Christ is. Where Christ, where Christ. While ago we just read with Christ. Where Christ is. Right? And if we drop down to verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Christ, we have another with Christ. And then in verse four, when Christ, when he comes back, right? And uh, at the end of uh, that fourth verse, revealed with him, in glory. did you notice that in four verses, we have that set of words, phrases dealing with Christ, with Christ, when Christ, with him, right? with Him in glory. Focusing on Christ again, aren't we? Yeah, You ever notice that throughout the New Testament when you see those words? It's really important to look at. Uh, this is how we're so joined to Him. There's a there's a mystical aspect behind that, but I'm not into mysticism. But there is a sense of where our minds really can't fathom this, but, because this is deep it's way deeper than i can even think and definitely try to get across to you but that's what these four verses are talking about uh if you've been raised up now uh got on the outlines co-resurrected that's probably a good way to think of that to to help you out raised up or co-resurrected it's an accomplished fact we have been co-resurrected with christ we've been immersed into the savior's death and also, we raised up with Him. That's our, re, uh, that's our union with Him, that resurrection is. We have died with Him, we were buried with Him, and we resurrected with Him. And when did that happen? 2,000 years ago, at the cross. The death, burial, and the resurrection. We weren't here, <laughs> obviously. We're not talking about any strange thing here, but what it is, is that's how connected we are. Somehow, as far as God is concerned, that's what happened to us. Now, this sounds familiar. Haven't we talked about this before? I mean, real recently? Well, Paul is reiterating this. We have entered into a whole new dimension. It's not that you become a Christian and nothing ever changes. No, you are into a brand new realm. No longer in uh, like in that bondage of sin that we once were in. We're now alive to Christ. If we're alive, we are alive to the realities of the divine heavenly realm. That's fascinating. Now, this is something that we already saw in chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with Him. Now, this is past tense. He's talking about Christians here and he's already said in verse 11, you, says that to Colossians, well that appeals to me too, you know, as Christians, having been buried with him in baptism, and that's not a, a wet baptism, there, that's not the water baptism, we're talking about baptized in one spirit. That's the sense there. In which you were also raised up with him raised up with him through faith and the working of God he's the one that was doing all this who raised him from the dead and what did he just say he raised us up with him so Paul says it there and here in chapter 3 he says it again so it's not something that Dennis is making up and making up some weird thing, saying hey we already died and we resurrected now there is the physical sense that we'll have a new glorified body I've got that clear right? But spiritually, we have already been raised. That means we're no longer dead. We can respond to the things of God. Romans 6 is another place we had referred to before, says the same thing. So Paul is consistent all throughout his epistles, because he's inspired by God's spirit, who is never wrong. right? Romans 6 verse three. Or do you not know, don't you know this <laughs> that all of us, who Christians? All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, there's a baptism, again, it's not a water baptism there, that that shows something uh, symbolically, but he's talking about the baptism into Christ Jesus, have been baptized into his death. It just says it. We were baptized into his death. We were there at his death. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, as the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. That means there's a new life. The old man is dead. That's what Romans 6 is saying. He's gone. He's dead. He's passed away. We have a new man. We have newness of life. We, were, we died. So if we died once we can't die twice we're born twice we were born once and then we're born spiritually alive we're born twice we die once no the physical body will die granted but what counts here is the spiritual man and that's what Paul is saying here when, when you were saved did you know this you were immediately raised. The moment you became a believer in Christ, you were given a place in the heavens. Spiritually speaking, you ascended. You ascended into the heavens, spiritually speaking. You entered, as it were, the Holy of Holies. We go into the throne of God, don't we, when we go to prayer. You've seen that in Hebrews and other places. Um... This is not a hypothetical thing. Something that we're just kind of comparing things to and it's not really a reality. We're talking a reality of being dead, being buried, being resurrected, ascending into the heavenlies and it's an accomplished fact. John Calvin, I think, had a really good thought on this. Ascension follows resurrection. Hence if we are members of Christ part of his body we must ascend into heaven because he on being raised up from the dead was received into heaven that he might draw us up with him hmm. speaking on this thought here now he says this okay since you've been raised up with Christ accomplished fact it's done right What's the next phrase? Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Keep seeking the things above. That means we already have been doing that. He encourages us to keep doing it. Don't give up. Don't get tired. Don't hit and miss. Keep constantly doing it. That's the continuous action in the Greek. Keep doing it always. Uh, It's stated in Ephesians... Be filled with the Spirit. Same thing. That's the same thing as, as being in the heavens. Be filled with the Spirit is saying, be continually being fulfilled with the Holy Spirit. Right? That, that, so this is something that we are to, to concentrate on. This is to be the ongoing pattern of a believer's life. Some people say, well, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. Their lives have never changed. They, there is nothing in their lifestyle that has anything to do with Christianity, but yet they say they're Christians. And you ask, well, do you, do you read the read the Bible? Uh, no, no, I don't have to. I, I go out to the lakes and the streams and the ponds and I fish, and I see God's great creation. Well, do you, do you get together with God's people? Says so in Scripture, that's a mark of a believer because we're all part of the body. And uh, do not forbid your Forsake your assembling together, and uh, they say, No, I don't have to. I just go out and just go outside and be at the Lord that way. Uh, Or are you seeking Christ all the time in your life? Uh, Every moment you think, Well, I don't have the time to be thinking about Him. I do it occasionally whenever I go out. This is talking about an ongoing pattern. Knowing His presence there. It's just like saying, whenever Paul says praying always. How can we pray always? Just realizing the presence of Christ, the presence of the Spirit. Sometimes we, we can't be in the Word of God every moment of the day. We have to do our work, we have to do other things, but to be keeping Him in mind. When we're doing that, guess where we're at? We're in the heavenlies. We're in the heavenlies. Amazing thing. It's a preoccupation with heaven. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is. You know what? If you're in the heavens and you're thinking on Christ and His things, whenever it comes to time to respond to earthly things, you know what? You will respond in a heavenly way. You will respond like Christ if you're thinking up in here. If your mind rises above this filth and the trash and the sin and all the lies that are in this world, and if we have been up there, folks, We're not going to respond like the unbelievers do. And so if your mouth does things that are not what Jesus would do, you haven't been in the heavens. We say things, we do things that are not consistent of who Christ is. And shame on us. He should govern our responses. And Colossians is going to have something to say about that. When we get into chapter 4, how are we supposed to talk with believers and unbelievers? How, how are we supposed to do that? Season your, season your speech, your mouth, your tongue with what you do. Season it. Be wise. Make it count. And be something that's heavenly. Sometimes I think we uh, can have a mouth and a tongue like the, like the people of this world. Shame on us. We hear it all the time. We don't even know what we say Sometimes. Oh my we 're to view everything. This is quite a calling isn 't it? This is an incredible calling. People who are not Christians would hate to hear this message they wouldn 't like this to say i don 't believe you should view everything with an eternal perspective. but well, Jesus said it in matthew six thirty three i 'm not even going to turn there you already, you already know what it is. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, keep seeking the things above." I didn't make that up. And I'll tell you what, it isn't always easy to do. Pastor Dennis has a battle with this too. See, I'm not looking down upon people when I say this. This is like what Paul and the Holy Spirit here is reminding us. Keep doing this. Keep seeking the things above. Right? It's a continuous action. Let Him govern us. What is it that we seek? What says... Seek ye first the kingdom of God. All these other things will be added to you. Things will fall into place when we seek Him first. So we don't have to worry. And if you keep on reading on down there, you'll find out the birds don't worry. worry. The plants, whatever. You know, the fields out there, their clothes and everything. God takes care of everyone. Just... Seek Him and He will bless in His way, in His timing. So, the kingdom of God is referring to the heavenly realm, which in one sense exists right now. There is a kingdom now and there is a kingdom not yet. That's the fulfillment. If this was just the kingdom... uh, and it doesn't get any better, then we really don't have anything to look forward to, do we? No, we got a lot to look forward to. But while we're here, here's what we do. Well, what is it that we seek? Well, the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? Well, that's where Christ is, as it says in Colossians. Keep seeking things where Christ is. Where Christ is. Well, let's think about Christ then. Let's characterize Christ. Who's Christ? Well, He is one who is tender. He's kind. He's loving. This is all the biblical, strong kind of thing. He's meek. Meek is, is not something that just lays down and lets people walk over him. But meekness is having power under control. So we have all the power, but we control it. And how, are we, how do we control it? With our emotions? No. Be, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Spirit-controlled. That's how we control our mouths, our anger and things that fly out of us. We govern those by that. He is patient. He is wise. He forgives. He has strength. He has purity. Think on those things. Oh, it sounds like Philippians chapter 4, doesn't it? When we focus on those realities, if you first... Okay, something comes up where you just like to just go off and go crazy. <laughs> what do you do? Well, some people say count to ten. But I think Scripture says something even better. Just go right on up into the heavens, man. And now all of a sudden you have your focus on Christ, on the heavens. Seek the things above. And guess what? When you come back down, you will now have an earthly response that glorifies... The one you've just been with. So that's how we respond. This is really starting to be application, isn't it? It's kind of hard. Because we all have our battles, we have our struggles. And yes, we fail the Lord, don't. We're not perfect, and we won't be till Christ comes back. But we have an opportunity to rise above all the situations and all the circumstances and we can live out those heavenly realities in this world, and it glorifies God. You say, well, how can I glorify God? Just by simply living out the heavenly realities. Where Christ is, uh, have you noticed Colossians? Sufficiency of Christ. Centrality of Christ. Where He is, that's where your treasure is. You have a treasure, right? The blessings, Ephesians 1. Peter talks about what a treasure. You know what? Christ is there. Christ is the treasure. That's what we seek. Christ is the treasure. He is the treasure. And He's sitting where He's seated at the right hand of God. How many scriptures use that? He is seated at the right hand of God. That's our resource. Our brother, Jesus Christ. Our head of the church, Jesus Christ. The one who we are married to, if I'm to be married, that will come into place, is Christ. He's the source. Our resource. And if we think about that where He's at, that is where we get everything. Remember Psalm 110, verse 1? And it's a great passage on the deity of Christ. The Lord says unto my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Sit at my right hand. That's what He's doing right now. That's a position of power and authority and majesty and glory. Look in Luke 22.69. I think Jesus spoke about this. I think He knew about that. What was going to happen to him in Luke 22, 69. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Now, if they've been asking him, the Sanhedrin, if you the Christ, if you're the Messiah, tell us then. He says, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. But I will tell you, the Son of Man is going to be seated at the right hand of the power of God. Is that good enough for you? <laughs> oh, man. Okay, uh, go to Acts 2.33. Did you know that this was used very early in the church? Matter of fact, the very first day of the church when it was born on Pentecost Day. Acts 2.33. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured forth this which you both see and hear for it, uh, it was not David who, uh, who ascended into heaven but he himself says the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet Peter used that passage right out of the Psalms he knew that and he knew where he's at and he's proclaiming resurrection to them he's proclaiming that he has ascended into the heavenlies that's where he's at Whew. Look in Romans 8, verse 34. Christ Jesus is He who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God. And by the way, what is He doing there for us right now? Interceding for us. Interceding in between the judgment of God on us. And we have a great lawyer, don't we? <laughs> He'll never fail us. 1 Peter 3.22 Peter will say that again. It's same kind of thought there. With such an exalted position of power and glory, we can be assured that whenever we seek the things above, we will get in 1 Corinthians 1.20, catch this. It says, For as many as may be the promises of God in Him, they are yes. If we pray in the Son's name and we pray the Father's will, do you know what the answer is every time from God? Yes. Because we just prayed His will, what He wants. Wow. We get to go. And we have one interceding. Right to God. Right to the throne. There's the power and the glory there. Jesus Christ, who is our intercessor. He's our mediator. And the Father says, yes. Beautiful, isn't it? Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. God will say, yes. Keep seeking. Number two, set your minds on Christ. After telling us in verse 1, keep seeking, set your mind. Here, here's how you do it. Set your mind on the things above, not on things on the earth. Well, how do you go to the heavens? I, I don't understand it. This is a spiritual thing, I know, but I, I don't know if I've ever experienced the heavens. What are you talking about? Well, the word there for mind, set your mind, is fra neo, which is to think. To put your thoughts on. To have an inner disposition. It's paying attention to. Put your attention on Him. Set your mind. Set your thinking on Him. That is how you get into the heavenlies. Right now, one of these days, our body will go there. But right now, our minds go there because we have the mind of Christ. So this deals with thinking. It deals with using the mind. We're to renew the mind. We're to seek... uh, Certain things, right? To seek heaven. How do we do it? We think it. The act of seeking depends upon the set of the mind. Set your mind. This is incredible. We're getting into deep, inner thoughts of God. When we've been into His Word, and now we can start thinking on things that are true, not idolatrous thoughts that are thoughts that are our own thoughts, but thoughts that are His. You know what? almost sounds like mysticism, but it's not because now it's talking about that's how you do it. You put your mind on Him. Now, some of us here, and I'm going to say some of us here might remember Jack Benny, that great theologian of the past. How many of you remember Jack Benny? I know you don't want to be truthful. (laughs) Well, for you that don't know Jack Benny, it probably won't matter to you, but the ones who do remember him might find it fascinating. And you probably remember the story. He was a penny pincher. I mean, if anybody was a penny pincher, it was Jack Benny. And he he tells us this story, and I think he said this probably many times, but he was walking along when suddenly an armed robber came up to him and said, your money or your life? Well, there was a long pause. And Benny did nothing. The oh, robber says, Okay, what's the deal? What are you going to do? Your money or your life? Jack Benny replied, Don't rush me. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about
1: it. Penny pincher
0: that he was. He, he never wanted to lose anything. Maybe if I died, I wouldn't lose anything. Millions of people today Think their things are their lives. That's what their life is all about. Their things. You might remember the uh, the bumper sticker. Oh, it might still be around. He who has the most toys when he dies wins. That is extremely opposite of scripture, isn't it? Uh, that's the philosophy of life. I think, especially here in America. We are not to set our minds on the things of the earth. Isn't that what it says in verse 2? Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. No, he's not saying, hey, you don't have responsibilities here, don't worry about it. (laughs) We do have responsibilities, but he's saying don't let those possess you. We are to renew our minds, right? Right? set them on the right things. What does Romans 12:2 say? Everybody knows it, right? Talking about renewing your mind. Renewing your mind. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your front oh, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. What's the will of God? Just go to the heavens. Seek out Christ. Seek out his word. Be thinking on that, and you'll know what His will is. It's good. It's perfect. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be continually be seeking Him. Your mind will be renewed. You'll be thinking on right things rather than the things of the world. Philippians chapter four, verse eight, four, verse eight, as I was referring to earlier. More than uh, that, I count all things to be lost. Uh, that's chapter three. That's pretty good. But that's not what I was thinking. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell. Put your mind on these things. Think on these things. What? Whatever's right. What's right? Christ. What's pure? Christ. What's lovely? Christ. What's, what's good? There's no man good except God, right? Christ, He's good. Excellence, Christ. Anything worthy of praise, that's Christ. Think, dwell, live, abide on these things. There's not anything magical about this keep seeking the things above, is there? When you look at it, we've been seeing this all the way throughout the New Testament. The thoughts, we are to get come from our reliable source the Word of God which talk about the nature of God and these heavenly values should dominate the mind should be filling up our mind and just keep renewing it and just keep fresh bringing those thoughts in dominating the mind and you know what that will produce? Godly behavior what you believe and what you confess is how you're going to live it that is not a real secret when we look at this, is it? Let the mind of Christ dominate in your own mind. And when that happens, you'll get more and more of an appetite. And then you'll see you have the capability to understand the heavenly values from the King of the Ages. These are deep Truths. We want to think the way that Jesus thinks. Right? Think the way that Jesus thinks. He is calling us upward. You know what the world is doing? Trying to bring us downward. Down, all the way down. With all the temptations and all the nice things, but heavenly things are awaiting us. And He's calling us. The things above. Set your mind on the things above. And Luke 12:34 talks about the treasure. What do you think of when you have nothing else to think about? When there's nothing in your mind, there's something going on, isn't there? And I will confess, a lot of times my mind will go wandering off and thinking about, Hey, I wonder what the cardinals are doing right now. I wonder what place they're in. They went and blew that game last night. And If they lose today, then there'll be a game out of the playoffs. And all of a sudden, what about the Royals? Man, if they could win so many games, they could keep from losing ninety games this year. They always lose a hundred, and now they could lose in the in the eighties and and you know almost get close to five hundred. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking those things. Are those things wrong? No. Not as, is it sin? No. But there's something better. I mean, that stuff's going to burn up. What does it really matter? What, why? And it's okay to have some fun. I'm not saying, hey, you can't you know, think on some other things. But sometimes your mind is, is lax and you don't have anything to think about. And you've done your work and you've done all you needed to do and you're just resting. Where should your mind go? Thinking on the things above. Wow. This, this is the secret of the Christian's life. It's not a secret, is it? It's out. The secret is out. Do our minds go up to Christ regularly? Do We have, a, we have an appointment with Him all the time. Do, do we go there? What is our highest priority? Is it some of the things in life that we like to accomplish and we just think about those things and never think about Christ? The setting of our mind really comes down to the will. And we're going to. We know what's right. We know what we should be doing. And sometimes we just like to do something else, and that could be okay. But you have time to think on Christ, and we go somewhere else. It's an act of the will. We either do it or we don't. No, I'd like to be thinking about this. I like to be. Thinking, I don't want to think of anything. And can you ever be there? Can you ever be where there's nothing you can think on? Don't try it. Because all of a sudden you'll find yourself going into Eastern mysticism. Now that's why God gave us rest. There are times when our mind need to shut down. You know, but our, our minds, if we empty our minds, then what can fly into this open window? All sorts of different thoughts besides Truth. <laughs> That's what Nirvana is. Eventually, where you get into nothingness. That's what people are doing in the Eastern religions and uh, Hinduism and yoga and such. That's the whole idea: is to empty your mind where there is nothing there, and you just realize that you are God, and you can just kind of, just kind of float out of the clouds. Our minds are always, uh, always active. Um, Hold on loosely. Are you saying we shouldn't have things? No, not saying that at all. Hold on loosely to them because they're not going to be there forever. Hold on loosely. That's not what life is about. We um, can think of a rich young ruler. He had an incredible amount of wealth, didn't he? And you know, really, what his problem was is that he wanted to hang on to those things. And Christ was there... Telling what eternal life really was, and he hit him where it was really about he broke he really thought he was following all the law, and we know that he couldn 't coveting for sure because he would rather have those things rather than christ he couldn 't follow Christ because he wanted these things of the earth, all the things that he come. Did you know that we have incredible wealth here in this nation? You can pretty well get what you want. Pretty well. Every one of us have an incredible wealth in this country. That's why people want to come over here. They want to run the country down, but at the same time, they want to live here. Isn't that amazing? And sooner or later it will get to be where people won't be able to get what they would like to get, like food and maybe even water and clothes. It might be very difficult to get those kind of things like we get so easily. Now, you probably have more than one or two sets of clothes, right? I'm sure you have many more than that. Well, back in the days of Christ, two sets of clothes was remarkable. So... It's difficult to set our minds on the things above because there's so many things we have here calling us. We battle with it, don't we? We struggle. And that's why he's saying, set your mind on the things above and on the things that are on it. He knew what they would they would be doing because Paul battled it too. We're humans. But we have this thing set before us. Here's what you do. Now, he goes to the present tense. Uh, And he continues with that. It's what he's been saying. Do this. Keep saying. And he stays with it in verse 3. But he goes back to the past tense for a moment. For you have died. And then he goes to the present. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died. Goes back to the past tense for a moment. Reminds us. Believers have died to the world system. Believers have died to the power of sin. Because we have union through faith in Christ. We have union with Him in His death and resurrection. This took place at the cross. Again, He says it again. It's, it's hard for people to believe that. For you have died. The penalty was paid for. It no longer condemns us. And in Galatians 2.20, a couple of books, or three books before this, everybody's familiar with this Verse. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh, in this body that I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself up for me. I was crucified with Christ. There we go. There it is again, isn't it? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. A few books back. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. New is new. Old is old. We were crucified to the world. We are dead to the system. No one can raise again with Christ unless they first have died. People have to die before they have new life. They have to die with Christ. Okay. The last phrase in verse 3. This is interesting. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You're absolutely full. You're connected with Him. And that kind of counteracts the cultist belief, right? Right? and the false teaching belief. And what does that mean, hidden? There can be maybe... Let's let's cover about three things what that might mean. And it could be one or the other. It could be all three. I'm going to favor all three. Okay? Um, one of them is our common life in God. We're common with Him. I mean, we are in a, a perfect... Unit. We're wrapped up in Him. How can I say this? Um, we're so joined to Him... That we are partakers of the divine nature, First Peter. We are partakers of the divine nature. Okay, we're so joined. Look in First Corinthians 17. We're one with Him. First Corinthians 6:17. 6:17. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her, for he says the two shall become one flesh, but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him? We've entered into a connection with Christ, an eternal connection, and so we're hidden with him. We are one spirit. With Him. When the Father looks at you, you know who He sees? Jesus. When He sees Jesus, do you know who He sees? He sees you. He sees that that's how common we are with Him. That's how much in union. So, when He's looking at you, He's looking at Christ. Thank the Lord. He sees His righteousness, doesn't He? Remember that song? When He sees me, He sees His righteousness. (laughs) Thank You, Lord. I am thankful for that. Doesn't that free you? So that's one thing about being hidden. We're so united with Him. Well, there's another one. And I think it can mean this. It means that we're so hidden with Christ that the world really can't recognize us. It's like a bride who has a veil on. You know, the long dress and everything, and you can't really see much of the bride. Kind of, but not much. They don't know us very well. The world doesn't understand spiritual things. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 that it's impossible for a natural man to understand the spiritual things of God. Now, if we are belonging to Christ, if they can't understand the spiritual things of God, is it possible that they cannot understand where our position is at? I think so. We're kind of hidden in Him. Although they see us physically, they don't know what we're about. They're not sure... (laughs) And it's good to know that as a Christian. Because when people respond to you not in the way that you would like for them to do it, just remember their mind can't go up into the heavens. They don't have a new life. So I shouldn't expect them to think the way that I think. And you know what? I think Christians think that sometimes. We think the world should be doing the things that we know to be true. And we're wondering why are they doing such ungodly things? Don't they know any better? You know, and we stand there and just shake them all we want and yell things at them. And a dead man cannot respond to spiritual things. You can kick them all they want, all you want. They're not going to respond, right? How are they going to do things of God if they don't understand it? We are citizens of heaven. We're citizens here, but we're also called citizens of heaven. That's really where we belong. Now the and heresy teachers are coming in, yeah, but you need this and you need that. You need the plerao. You need the fullness. You need these extra little secrets that you don't know about. Paul says, no you don't. You are full of Christ. You are complete in Him. You don't need any of that other stuff out there. In all those elementary principles that maybe you grew up on, you are complete. We are strangers. We are pilgrims. We are aliens. As we are citizens of heaven, we live there as we think on Him. But we live here. We have a dual citizenship. Can you understand that we're kind of hidden to them? Number three, I think what this idea of hidden with Christ and God is, we are eternally secure. If we're so hidden and so joined to Him, we're hidden from all the foes. We are protected. We're hidden way deep into the inner recesses. The very shelter of God is where we're at. Does that sound like some hymns? Some of the Old Testament psalm writings, right? We're in the cleft of the rock. We're inseparable with Christ. We're so joined together, so inseparable, presently hidden, presently hidden with Him. We are secure forever. Do you know there are people who don't like eternal security? Half of the body of Christ at least believes you can lose eternal life. That's an oxymoron right there. Lose eternal life. Just put that eternal life, which is a quantity of life, but also I mean it's 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 a quality of life, but it's also a quantity, which means just it just goes on. How can eternal life be now not eternal? It can't. But I think scripture teaches us even more. First Peter one fourteen. Uh, one four. One to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God if not our power His power through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. The power of God. Kept through the power of God. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. And I'm telling you, these are just a few verses. We do not have enough time to teach this doctrine, but a few verses that stand out. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him Why? Since He always lives to make intercession for them. He's at the right hand of God interceding for you. He's doing this always. He will save forever. How long is that? John
1: 10.28
0: We're kept by Christ. We're kept by the Father. Oh, how precious that is. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I the Father are Lord. We are so joined to him, so hidden with him. And you could look at Romans eight, especially the last ten verses or so. They're just mind blowing about how He will keep... Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Not anything. Not even yourself. The devil. Other people. If you are Christ, you belong to Him, you're there for it. Hey, listen. I want to tell you. There are people who don't like eternal security. And like I say, many of the denominations believe that you can lose your salvation. What's that tell you? Well, there are many of them. <laughs> says they don't believe in the trusting power of God is what they're saying they don't believe that God is absolutely sovereign matter of fact they would go on to say that it's not you that saves you save yourself he saves you but you have to keep yourself saved and it's because of your faith in him because you're so good you can choose him huh how many of the people believe in this stuff We just saw three verses, and we could go on. We could spend the next weeks and weeks going verse after verse after verse after verse on none of that. The ones who are true Christians—that's the whole thing. Well, the people who say this—they've actually. There's some have been uh, have written books on demons, and they they encourage people to admonish them to learn the names of the demons and what particular demons will do. The demon of fear. Uh, the demon of Jeff City the demon of Lincoln University the demon of this and this and this and that. have you guys heard of that? And, and so there's these books that come out and this one guy has this whole list uh, and, and at the end of all the demons uh, right there of all the, uh, at the end of the book of all the demons you really have to look out and watch out for and one of them he named I uh, want you to catch this is the demon of eternal security Now, is that blasphemy? The demon of eternal security. As we talk about this and as we read these scriptures, they would say, see, you guys got a demon in there. It's a demon of eternal security that's fooled you. Because you really believe there's going to be eternal security. You believe in eternal life. These people are calling themselves Christians. We're not talking about cultists. To me, it's cultists. I mean, it's not believing in scripture at all. How can you miss eternal security in, in all of this? All the Bible. Well, anyway, I thought that was interesting. We're hidden with Him. Now, verse 4. We close this out now. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. You know what? This is the shouting verse of this whole section. We come to the future of the believers. We died in the past. We are presently hidden right now. And the future tense says we will be glorified with Him. And we will have new bodies. We will be with Him. He that has the Son has life. John says that, doesn't he? He's the source of our life. He is life. He is the fullness. Did you know His fullness passed into our emptiness? Do you know His righteousness passed into our sinfulness? And His life passed into our death. As our death passed in Christ happened. His life came in. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4.10 says the life of Jesus was manifested in His body. Or the church. The life of Jesus is now seen here on earth. How? The body of Christ. That's how people see Christ today. In the body of Christ. The body of Christ is walking and living right here on earth as we're joined and connected Him. For me to live... Is Christ. To die is gain. That's where we're at right here. This is the only way that we can get into the uh, eternal heavenlies as far as the body is concerned. We have to die physically. When Christ, who is our life, is real, unless we happen to be sitting here right now and within, uh, let's say, another minute or so, he's coming, he's up there in the air, and he says, Come, boom, we're there, right? We'll meet him in the air. Our bodies will be transformed. We'll have glorified bodies. Now, when He's revealed, same thing will happen to us. We, we will be glorified. Uh, look in Revelation 19. Talking about encouragement, and we're going to pretty well leave on this. Uh, Revelation 19, verse 11. Get a Get a load of this. Someday this will happen. I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse... And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire. This is the real Jesus here. A flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, look at this, clothed in fine linen. White and clean. Clothed in fine linen. We're clothed in Christ's righteousness. We are white and clean. Whenever He comes to pick us up, we're following Him on white horses. From His mouth comes a sharp sword so that with it He may strike down the nations. Finally. And He will rule them with a rod of iron and He treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on His robe and on His thigh He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And you go and you see that this is a time that we look forward to as we see that... um, the Supper of God will be gathered. of course, His judgment upon the nations will be final and complete. And we see that uh, the world will then see the glory of the saints. You remember that we were talking about we are hidden with Him? There will be a day when people will look up as they see Christ and we have been changed coming back to the earth and it says in Second Thessalonians the same thing flaming fire and there he's talking about angels and also his people and as we're with him the world will then see the glory of the saints do you think they see glory in the saints today? they don't Matter of fact, they make fun of us. Here's what Lightfoot said about this in his commentary the veil which now shrouds our higher life from others and even partly from ourselves. <laughs> do, do you catch that? We are hidden, and sometimes we don't really know how much of us <laughs> really is in the heavenlies. The veil will then be withdrawn. Lightfoot goes on to say, the world which persecutes, despises, ignores now, will then be blinded with the dazzling glory of the revelation. It will finally be seen. 1 John three two backs that up. This is something we really look forward to. Verse 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. That in itself is just enough, isn't it? There's more. That we be called children of God and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. I can't say it any better. I can tell you just a really quick story. and I mean, it's going to be quick. Hudson Taylor is a man who really lived in the heavens. Whenever he went to his church in Brighton, England, one day it just struck him Amazingly, as he looked around, you have bearded merchants there, you have shopkeepers and visitors and people in their pews and little kids and everything. And the atmosphere of piety just sickened him because he saw this thousand, over a thousand people that were there were just rejoicing in their own security while millions were perishing for the lack of knowledge. And he went out of church. Left early. Grabbed his hat. Don't you be doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Went out to the beach. Prostrated himself. He was in great spiritual agony. There right on the beach, he started praying to God to give him 24 laborers to go to China. He felt what Christ felt. He felt Because he lived with Jesus in the heavenlies constantly. He dwelt with the Savior so long that then he comes back to the world and looks at it from the divine vantage point. He's still on earth, but yet he's, he's seen a lost world. That's really what they are. They're lost. So it starts with ascending into the presence of God. God first, and then we take the good news. And we see it the way that He sees it. It's the only vantage point from which you can touch the world. The key to living the risen life is to have a life centered on Christ. The Son. Not this present world that we center on, but the Son of God. He is the center
1: of the believer's universe. Let's pray.